0: With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public, free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Where the story goes, we follow Chris Smith on today's News Talk, TNT Radio.
1: I should make a very quick mention that next week is the week for Julian Assange. Uh, He'll be in the UK High Court. Um, We'll probably find out whether he's got any chance of avoiding being extradited to the United States or not. And we know that that is not a good outcome for him or his supporters and his support is growing. So February 2021, Tuesday, Wednesday, we will be there on TNT to cover exactly what is occurring. If, of course, it does go the full two days. And then for days afterwards, we are broadcasting from London, various parts of London, and uh, sharing with you some of the interesting issues that are occurring there at the moment. They've just been plunged into recession, so you can guarantee there'll be a little bit of talk about economics. And then also the London premiere of The Trustful, Julian Assange, will be at Rio Cinemas on Sunday at 1pm, this Sunday. The film will be followed by a panel discussion, and uh, to find out more, you can just Google the Trust Fall Julian Assange London premiere. So, if you're listening from London, it may be something that you're interested in. If you are interested in the uh, freedom of Julian Assange and his work, while I'm talking things British, this is interesting. It's from um, a site that I often receive and get and uh, get news from, the Daily Skeptic, and it's a site that uh, is written by a number of journalists, but one in particular, Chris Morrison, does extraordinary stuff. Well, Chris has written a story about the Met Office in the UK. Have a listen to this. Classic. The Met Office has been unable to back up a claim that storms in the UK are more intense due to the effects of climate change. And, you know, you get that. It doesn't matter where you live in the world. If there's a series of storms, they will say, these are more intense because of climate change. They won't back it up. They won't tell you. They won't show you the data. You'll never see the graph. Have you seen the graph? No. The claim was made by senior Met Office meteorologist Claire Nasir on January the 22nd on a BBC Live Breakfast program. However, they asked for a, an investigative journalist by the name of Paul Homewood has asked for an explanation. Where did you get the data? What's you, what are you relying on? Very clever. Just ask the question. Fair question. And so the Met Office has replied that it is unable to answer the request due to the fact that that the information is not held. The information is not held. Well, firstly, if you don't hold information that backs up what you say, don't say what you just said. And as for the information is not held, don't you have access to Google? Maybe the Met Office hasn't run into the computer world. Like, seriously, it's not held. In fact, the Met Office could have addressed the claim that storms are growing in intensity by referring to its own state of the climate report in 2022. The report said the most recent two decades have now seen fewer occurrences of maximum gust winds above the thresholds of 40, 50, 60 knots. This is from the Met Bureau. This is during the previous decades. So they compared, the Met Bureau compared the decades. This is fantastic, particularly comparing the period before and after the year 2000. This earlier period before 2000 also included among the most severe storms experienced in the UK. (laughs) So the only evidence that they held was evidence to the contrary, but they wouldn't tell you about that. They wouldn't validate what they said when they tried to scare the bejesus out of people who were listening to the BBC that morning. How incredible. How disingenuous and how untruthful is the UK Met Office? Untruthful. There it is in black and white. Very quickly, just before I get to Jim Ball, I have um, a partner who specialises in nutrition and and dietitian work. And so we eat fairly healthily, and and there are things that I can't eat and I can't eat, and I'm a bit. Contra-suggestible, so I eat all the things I get told not to eat. Anyway, I digress. Um, I'm very interested in school lunches because I think most of the things that have been sold in school canteens have been pretty bloody awful for their health, kids. But everything in moderation, because if you starve someone from the good things in life, especially kids, and especially watching other kids have the good things, the, the nasty things, you know, the things they shouldn't have, um, you can build up this incredible problem associated with higging out when you get access to bad food. That's just how the literature explains it. So the best thing is everything in moderation, a bit of this, a bit of that, bit of bad stuff, bit of good stuff, but they're kids. They burn massive amount of calories every single day, they're kids. So don't worry about it too much as long as they're getting the basics. However, that's not what some schools are doing nowadays. They've gone off their nut, they've gone so woke on school lunch boxes, it's not funny. Um, In Western Australia, they banned the ham and cheese sandwiches from the canteen. Yep. Then South Australia decreed that fairy bread should not be served at school events under any circumstances because, you know, in the hundreds and thousands, there's sugar. Come on. What, are you going to keep kids from eating sugar entirely, are you? Hundreds and thousands. And now again in South Australia, there's a cracker just announced by news.com.au today. Parents are reportedly receiving notes from schools in South Australia critiquing the composition of their lunchboxes. They've got lunchbox police in South Australian schools requesting that treats such as biscuits be omitted in favour of fruit. Well, no, you don't need to do that. You can put fruit in out of biscuit, can't you? Why should we not give our kids a biscuit? Biscuits are great. Makes you feel good. It probably keeps you from craving things that everyone else is eating. And how about this? They're also making sure, let me just go down to the story. I've just got to click the page because it's not moving for me. Hang on, it's now moving. That's it. Nuggets and hash browns have been taken out of the canteen as well, in South Australia, and they have indicated to parents that their lunchboxes will be checked. How dare any school have the temerity to check on a parent's lunchbox that they would have packed? Who do they think they are? What we feed our children is our prerogative, not yours. What is this? Nazi lunchbox provost. People just overstep the mark every time to make their point. It's just foul. Kids can have good stuff and they can have a little bit of the bad stuff. And you know what? A good balance between the two might actually not give them some kind of eating disorder later, later in life because they were deprived of what everyone else had. Get out of our lives, please. This is Chris Smith on TNT.
0: Flashing on the controversies.
2: It's a woke society and I am fed up with it. Today's
0: News Talk Radio, TNT.
1: I bet the former Australian mm-hmm. national talkback radio announcer, Jim Ball, uh, had a few hundreds and thousands on his bread from time to time and you would have had ham and cheese sandwiches as well what was and the- maybe a few other bad things.
3: Chris, what was the ham and cheese? What was the reason you didn't mention...
1: No, just, the story didn't mention it. I I couldn't find out. I was going to go to the original story from Western Australia, but my, my uh, Western Australian uh, um, um, subscription has run out, so I couldn't get there. I don't know.
3: But it, as you said, the, the lunchbox and Nazis, I, uh, being the kind of guy I am, I would simply defy. I would send the kids to school with sausage rolls, meat pies, hundreds yes. and thousands, the lot, just to stick it up them. Yeah. In, and it's yeah. the
1: whole thing one of the things I have learned from listening to the better half teach other people what they should be eating mm-hmm. is that you know having a treat from time to time is a damn good thing for your for your mindset and yeah. if you can keep your mindset in check and not crave things that you can't have you might actually be able to lose weight.
3: Yeah. Yeah no, no that that's true. Just listening to you talking about the uh, the met in Britain mm-hmm. uh, reminded me I think it was last week. Mark Stein, you're familiar with Mark Stein in in, uh, in the U.S.? I think he's yeah. Canadian. Yeah. He took a – he was taken to court by Michael Mann. Michael Mann is the man who uh, developed the phony, repeat, phony hockey stick graph to make yeah. things appear worse than they were. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so he he's a fraud for a start. But uh, he took uh, – I forget what, what it was about, but he took Stein to court and st- – uh, there was one part of the judgment was a, a penalty of $1,000. The next bit, $1 million against Stein. Yeah. So he's not well. He's, he's, um,
1: I could just imagine.
3: You know, seriously, he's, he attended court in a wheelchair. He couldn't afford a lawyer. He had to defend himself. Uh, he's had really serious heart problems, multiple events. So, yeah. It's uh, not good, and uh, and of course in Australia we've got our own bureau with their homogenisation of temperatures. Uh, I saw one the other day. It came up on my usual Facebook feed that I posted ages ago, and I think it was Burke or somewhere like that. It was 125 degrees Fahrenheit, hottest day ever, and that had been homogenised down to 112 or 110. It's all to make today's weather look warmer oh. than it actually is.
1: Leave us alone. Comparatively, why, yeah. why? Why don't they tell us the truth? Is it because the the people who are working in these kind mm-hmm. of agencies uh, are people who are you know have drunk the green cordial and I believe so. that we can yeah. change the temperature of the planet?
3: Well, yes. And there's a book. I was going to mention this later, but there's a book out. It's in America, but the same thing happens everywhere. It's called Big Intel. And this is about how the CIA and the FBI went from Cold War heroes to deep state villains. The same thing has happened in bureaucracies around the world. When they talk about the deep state, they're not talking about a secret government. They're talking about the the bureaucracy and the people in it that can't be fired. Mm. and They just ignore their political masters. Your, your guy might, we saw that under Trump, but you see it all the time. Uh, the political masters might vote on something, but the the bureaucrats will drag their feet or yeah. not do it at all, just pure defiance. Yeah. It's the same kind of thing. They've drunk the, the the Kool-Aid, as they call it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But the UK, t- for them to say what they say, and they say it every time there's a natural disaster, but they don't back it up. And when you, they're forced to back it up, the only information they have contradicts exactly what they're saying. Like, yeah. oh, what are hypocrites. Yeah. Let's talk about, let's talk about, um, power and energy for a second mm. and we know and for those listening outside of australia there is an infatuation and a uh, an arrogance and a an ignorance in australia by the labor government to think that we can provide baseload power with purely renewable energy um it's never been done before in the world but mm. for some reason the current government thinks it can be done but of course the smart minds know what the future is about, and the future is in terms of baseload power that can be reliable and doesn't have CO two. If that's your, if that rocks your boat, um, <clears throat> if that floats your boat, well, it's it's nuclear. And the wonderful thing about nuclear, as opposed to renewables, we don't have to replicate transmission lines. That's right, and we could, yep. if you wanted to take your coal-fired plant down, if that's if that, as I say, floats your boat. Mm. and you hate coal and you want to demonise it, well, you could put a nuclear reactor on these sites, and that is a major story um, put together today in the Australian newspaper, and I'm so glad that it was out there in print.
3: Yep. Look, before I go to that, Um, for years I have been quietly saying to myself, uh, bring on the blackouts. The more the better the sooner the better so we can get a foretaste of what's to be expected yeah now we had that big storm in melbourne so unrelated it was a storm so i got that uh 530 homes without power that's a good thing i know it's not if you're in the middle of it but people might go holy hell if this is what it's like after a storm what's it going to be like when it's found that the renewables can't handle the load mm. now as i say, that was just a storm now, Wednesday, we had businesses saying to Victorian government that we're thinking of leaving. We may well leave, take our business uh, to Queensland or somewhere else. But it <laughs> doesn't matter where you go. Most states have got uh, similar similar policies. And I think it's been obvious to everyone for many, many years, a couple of decades at least, uh, with the closure of various power stations, that this was going to happen. Yes. Now Here's some numbers from today's story in The Australian. Uh, we had Liddell power station closed down last year, a Raring power station down next year. Mm-hmm. So that's five megawatts uh, out of the system in the space of just three years. Twelve power stations have been decommissioned so far for a total of 7,140 megawatts. And with the close of a Raring next year, that'll bring it to 9,165 megawatts of coal-fired power. That is, in anyone's language, that is energy vandalism yeah uh it, it, there's no way in the world and they'll say on a good day renewables can deliver a lot of power probably can but the thing is which day well that well th- th- that's the point it's variable and unreliable you you just don't know Yeah, Yeah, And they cost a
1: hell of a lot to build and a hell of a lot to get their kind of power to the grid. Yep. And and thirdly, there was a story today, and I'll get it for you before we finish our segment, Mm. where a group of uh, wind turbines lasted 12 years, Jim.
3: So you've got to, A, bury them (laughs) or whatever, uh, and got to get new ones. And I think solar panels also, they have, I don't know what their life is, but it's it's not long, it's comparatively to to uh, just a, a power station grinding. But so on top of all of this energy vandalism, uh, as you pointed out, uh, we've got up to, they're talking about if they want to put out all the renewables that they are going to need in Victoria, that's going to take 70% of available agricultural <laughs> land in Victoria.
1: of land with with a turbine. They're they're crackers.
3: Let that that sink in. The the, the thing is that that was up on the website. I'm not sure which government website, and it mysteriously disappeared. But they were there. I thought it was a typo, but no, no. Uh, Let me have a look here. Analysis indicates that to meet net zero targets using onshore renewables could require up to 70% of (laughs) Victoria's agricultural land to host wind and solar farm uh, farms. Uh, And it's only a
1: preliminary target, Jim. It's only a preliminary target. But
3: but this is an interesting number too. If you take the 15 active coal-fired power stations in Australia today, they cover just short of 2000 hectares. That's the footprint. Hmm. Now visualize this against the footprint of renewables of 101,500 hectares. So 2,000 over here and 101,000 over there. That's the difference. But all is not lost, Chris. Wow. Now, there's been some indications uh, that Dutton and the Libs are going to take nuclear to the next election. Good. I suggested this prior to the last election as a point of difference. Yep. People's electricity bills are coming in. Uh, They know there's trouble looming on the road up ahead. And they're looking for, and they've CO2 is the problem. So they say, anyway, let's assume that they're correct. Uh, The only answer to that is nuclear. And if you're not talking nuclear, you shouldn't be in the bait. You shouldn't be in the room. You shouldn't.
1: Absolutely. You yep. should not. It is farcical that we don't join the other 40 countries in the world looking mm. very closely at this. There should be a task force set up looking closely and reporting to government. And
3: the, the thing is, Chris, that uh, as you pointed out, the if you put nuclear, these little modular jobs uh, on existing power station sites, they can use the existing, they can plug straight into the grid. Yeah. And these things, are, I re- interviewed a chap when I was on a took 12 months out of GB, went to TUE. A guy called, the the name of the book is Prescription for the Planet, and I can't think of the author's name. He went into the history of these things. This is back in 2008, 2007, 2008. Right. And so I've I've still got the book. I've been across this stuff for uh, a hell of a long time. Uh, Dutton pointed out there's something like 20 countries similar to Australia which have a nuclear industry or they're committed to having one, and Australia is the only one that doesn't have just a policy ridiculous. of that nature. Uh, so, if the if the I think this is a, this is a game changer. It's a hackneyed phrase, I know, but this single policy can win the libs of the election. Um, the people are now they are, dare I say it, plugged into the energy debate because they see it every few months when it comes via the letterbox. Uh, meanwhile, you've got Albo. <laughs> He's over here. He's talking about for Liddell, a big battery.
1: Yeah.
3: Now a battery, uh, it only serves a couple of hundred, uh, houses, maybe a couple of thousand and for a couple of hours, mm. I mean, I, I had one when my, used to have a tower, a computer tower, I had a, uh, one of those big plug in batteries so that if the power went down, you'd know, and you could shut down everything you were doing in an orderly fashion instead of having a blackout. But that battery only lasted for maybe an hour. If mm. that, mm. but it was enough to get you for you to shut things down. Mm. So, but that's what our Albo was proposing yeah. for the Liddell site. He's got no idea none absolutely
1: i've got to take a break mate i'm just behind off i found that story about the 12-year lifespan we'll get to that right after the break on on tnt
0: tnt's steve molsberg
4: now that they've gone to the supreme court the trial cannot start based on the appeals court decision they have to wait now for the supreme court and the longer it goes on the longer before the trial could start if they were to rule that he does have to face trial correct correct uh, okay, good. Well, that's uh, That's good. That's good. That's good for Trump. I mean, obviously. And, and so. it could take several
0: months. I mean, understand. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. the first vehicle is actually, it was only three judges from the panel that actually heard this case on the appellate court. He, the Trump team can say, we want it heard before all the judges on this appellate court. So it would take time for that to happen. Then it has to go back to the Supreme Court and by the time that all happens you know these things don't yeah. happen overnight unless it's no. emergency hearings you but i don't see election. this one yeah. emergency steve Molsberg on today's news talk tnt
2: the irish government is proposing a law known as the hate speech bill that threatens free speech this law could have dire consequences for our democracy
1: Next week, next month, next month, and then on to the next week. This law will have
2: uncertain effects on artistic and musical expression. Please support us. It could stifle the activity of public campaigning on political and civil issues and also curtail speech relating to topics about religion, ethnicity, sex and gender. You could even be jailed for possessing documents, cartoons or memes on your devices even if you never read them or intended on sharing them. Mere possession could make you a criminal under this law. Help stop this law. Visit www.freespeechireland.ie forward slash take action to bin the hate speech bill.
0: You are about to hear today's news talk and the voice of freedom. That's what this country is all about. TNT Radio.
1: Now, TNT, as you may know, is an independent global news talk station that does what others, well, they only say what they want to do or will do. We do it. TNT is a live radio and television broadcaster that simply tells the truth 24 hours a day, uh, seven days a week. No one in the world does what we do. That's the truth. Uh, crisscrossing the globe, providing credible news and opinion all day and all night. In two and a half years, that's all we've been open and broadcasting for, TNT has become a credible and exciting platform with brilliant hosts and staff. It's a critical time and we must continue to call out the misinformation and propaganda from mainstream media and their powerful sponsors. Uh, We are now appealing to our many friends and supporters from right around the world who are listening and watching to go to TNTradio.live and make a small donation to TNT while we seek the right investors to continue our important mission. We have some wonderfully generous donors from around the world who keep us afloat and that's doing well. But we can do with some small additions, and that's why we've put out this call today. It's all part of bringing you something that no other broadcaster does on TNT. Okay, let's get back to Jim Ball. Jim, I found that story, and this is the uh, this is the stupid part of. Um, our understanding of renewables. The fact that, oh, there'll be 20 years, 25 years, then, you know, we replace them. Even that is appalling in terms of an investment, uh, especially when you consider that nuclear reactors can last um, anything around 80 years or more. But the story that I had, let me just get it up for you and press the right buttons. Here it is. This is from John Lee Pettymore on Twitter, and it's about a Minnesota wind farm. Documents filed by XL Energy, writes John Lee Pettymore, for its Nobles Wind Facility in Minnesota show that of the 134 turbines they had, um, they cost to decommission million just to get rid of them, $85 million to get rid of. Then they had to refurbish them after only 12 years, and that cost was $204 million. And that is from what's called green energy. That's the source, green energy, which is an industry uh, newsletter. But 134 turbines, They lasted 12 years, to get rid of them, 85,000, to refurbish them, Two hundred and four. Sorry, I've said million. I should be million. Eighty-five million, and then two hundred and four to refurbish it. Yeah. It is just an absolute as joke. All,
3: as I've said all along, Chris, uh, renewables are a boutique option. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, they're okay to have, but don't rely on them. Yeah, as simple as that.
1: Okay, two stories I want to get to, and I may have to get to news very shortly. But Clementine Ford, this terribly feisty, nasty. Anti-Semitic woman um, is is just a shocker, and she's talking today. She's defended herself and saying that when she outed these Jewish followers who are on a WhatsApp group, um, she wasn't being anti-Semitic, despite the fact that they mm. were just Jewish, and for that they had to pay because Ooh. she put their private details on uh, you know uh, online private details that led to at least one of them being threatened. But Clementine Ford, what are your thoughts on her, mate? Because she seems to be still the darling of the media. They keep giving her work. And then the Opera House has asked her to host an event yeah. coming up soon. Can you believe that?
3: Well, no, but I do. I mean, yes, but no. You know, I don't want to believe it, but if it's true, I'll come to her disclaimer that she's not anti-Semitic in just a moment. As they say, I've got the receipts that prove the exact opposite. But I don't think, Chris, in our collective lifetimes, I can recall such a loud, obnoxious, odious, vile figure as Clementine Ford. Mm. Uh, She's a shocker. And why you would select her to co-create or co-curate anything, which is what you were talking about, that opera house thing, uh i don't know why you would do that her mission her i don't know guiding principle if you like is to uh, outrage and insult that's because that, that's what she does there's no great piercing intellect uh inside that head at all she no. just shoots off shoots off the mouth in fact the only way she generates a headline uh, or a story of any sort is not because of any particular intellectual observation or insight but it's purely on the basis of the gratuitous insults that she hurls at anyone i mean put it this way in another life she would have been in the french revolution she would have been a jacobin they were the ones that totally <laughs> overturned french society yeah uh that's what there she she would have been the uh, one of the jacobins
0: yeah
3: uh she's been described as a serial misandrist That is a man hater um she's a, she's a spawn of the sydney morning herald uh, the Age, The Drum on the ABC, that's the kind of milieu, the the kind of circles in which she uh, she she did a gender study. has got to mention that. Uh, she studied gender at Adelaide University, probably explains the misandry. Mm. We're dealing with a, a very dark, very unwell human being, I think.
1: A woman who can say that it's a pity that more men didn't die during COVID-19 yeah. has got a real psychological problem.
3: Oh, yes, she does, and uh, we're giving her exactly what she wants just by talking about it. She's getting, sure. she, you know, that, that's exactly it. But on this particular uh, subject of doxing 600 Jewish creatives, and by doxing, as as you well know, that means putting out their private information, name, address, email, phone number. Why would you do that unless you didn't mean for somebody to go there and intimidate yeah. and create problems for them mm. uh, for for those people and those that other pond scum that was on the front page of the Australian yesterday uh Stuart Rosenberg Z Maslin good on the Australian for outing them and mm. Matt Chun um they all feel quite comfortable in their in their position I don't know how you can you know, be a part of a society that talks as tolerance and diversity and inclusion and behave like that mm. I don't I don't understand. Well said. Let me get back to, um, she says she's not an anti-Semite. Okay. Check Claire Lehman in The uh, Australian Today. On her social media, this is from Lehman's uh, story or column, on her social media accounts and substack newsletter, Ford amplifies Islamist rhetoric that portrays Israel as an occupied territory since 1947. Um, On her Instagram account, there's a video of Ford speaking softly in dark lighting in front of her phone camera about Zionist ideology. Zionist is a euphemism, of course. This is it. They use the word Zionist. And they say, oh, but I'm not anti-Semitism. It's it's not even half smart, Mm. uh, fast and loose with the English language. Um, And there she is on this uh, film, this video, stating there are not enough babies in the world who could be bombed to satisfy Israel. Mm. Got that? On her Substack account this week, Ford talks of children being ritually maimed and disabled by Israel. Now, throughout her social media posts, she describes Zionists. And notice again, that's the, uh, that's the euphemism that they use to disguise her anti-Semitism. She, she uh, describes them as monsters, sadists, ghouls, Israel as disgusting, evil. Uh, and a disgusting, evil oppression machine. Mm. But she's not anti-Semitic, Chris. No, 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 no,
1: not at all. Not at all.
0: You've
3: proved <laughs> How your we point. I've
1: got to take a quick break. I'll come back with you, Jim. I've got to go to the newsroom for a news update on TNT.
0: Now, TNT
1: Radio News.
2: You are completely obsessed with breaking news now.
1: Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Prolific pedophiles convicted of the most heinous crimes against infants and preteen children could be executed in the US state of Idaho under a new bill passed by House officials. Russian President Vladimir Putin's told the world that his country is close to developing vaccines to treat cancer. And the Kremlin has rejected wild reports out of the US claiming Russia is planning on deploying nuclear weapons
0: in space. We're the pinup boys and poster girls for free speech. We just don't look as impressive as Vladimir Putin shirtless on a horse. Yeah. 24-7, 365. We never stop sifting fact from fiction, misinformation from the truth. From government overreach, to the latest on mandates, big tech censorship, to propaganda gone mad. Listen to TNT Radio and get the news and views direct from our expert presenters and commentators anywhere you go. Ask a Alexa or Google to play TNT radio or download the TNT radio app for free from the app store or Google play today's news talk. This is
1: TNT radio. As I mentioned, uh, TNT does rely on donors and we've got some terrific donors. We've got to be careful about who donates to this network, which is a process that uh, you've got to go through. But in terms of donations from our listeners and our viewers, very much uh, invited. You can go to our website, and uh, you can find on our website, you can easily navigate exactly how to donate. I think there's a donate button there on the front page. But Chimp Watch on the chat box says, shall do, Chris, I will donate a small amount. TNT must exist. Thank you very much for your support. Jim Ball, one last question. I want to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, I talk about it in the context of the Biden administration almost every week. There are numerous examples of where you know, people should have been employed for positions that weren't because they weren't a particular colour or didn't have the disadvantage that others who got the job had. Um, we don't call it DEI in Australia, but the same kind of thing is contaminating society right around the world, isn't it?
3: Yeah, it's a uh, it's it's the the pandemic virus, if you like, of uh, of 2024 and into the future. Uh, the one that caught my eye this week, you would have seen it as well in The Australian, they're talking about Australian judges now being assessed and promoted on the basis of their culture and that kind of thing. And merit, they specifically mentioned that merit will be downgraded. Now, ah. I'm afraid uh, <laughs> if I'm in front of a judge, I want somebody with ability and skill and somebody who can read the room. Uh, merit should be the primary uh Consideration, and we have. We got something going on there.
1: Uh, we we got someone else's. We got someone else we can hear in the background. That's okay. We'll we'll take okay, that off air. That's all right. Go ahead, Jim.
3: Oh, I can beg it up. Was that going to air? No, I don't know. Doesn't uh, matter. Probably. So anyway, like in America, you've got. Uh, you've just had the the president of Harvard University. Uh, a plagiarist, who was promoted on the basis of DEI. She was the diversity hire. Yeah. In the White House, you've got several of them, but one of them is the, the talking head for the president, the the, the um, media talking head, uh, Jean-Pierre, um, yeah. Karen Jean-Pierre. Uh, that's another one. But the biggie the biggie is, and this is what I'm meeting up to here, just give me a second, the biggie is Kamala Harris. Now, after the travails of uh, Biden last week, They're in a bind. Next in line is Kamala Harris. Mm -hmm. What are they going to do? Now, Biden went to the election in 2020, months out from the election, said, my vice president will be female and a woman of color. All right. Tick that box. Terrific. Uh, Uh, Despite
1: the fact, I might add, that during the playoffs, the political playoffs, she was the first one to be ejected.
3: That's right. She was. Yeah, she in Iowa or wherever it was. That's yeah. right. She she uh, and Biden wasn't meant to. He was out as well uh, until uh, James Clyburn, I think it is, came in and did some backroom deal and got uh, Biden in there. And he's been a puppet for the Obama administration, uh, Mark two or three or whatever it is. But so here they are. They've got this marriage made in hell, all because of DEI. That's the bottom line. She's there. There's nothing they can do about it. They will do something. I, I'm, I'm, they're brutal. They're savage. They're going to get rid of her, uh, whether the, whether it's money or whatever. I have no idea. But uh, they, at the moment at least, are stuck with her and stuck with him, and they deserve each other. I the American people put don't. Put it
1: perfectly. Yeah. They deserve each other. Yeah. Nicely said. You have a great weekend, Jim Ball, and Thanks we'll Chris. catch up next Friday. Next hopefully. Friday, we'll do it again. Good on you, mate. Thank you. There you go, the politically incorrect, uh, pulls no punches, Jim Ball from Sydney, speaking with him again on Friday. That's what we do each and every week. Okay, I want to move on to wokeness. I want to move on to the politically correct, because at the end of the day, this is also with DEI, contaminating society around the world. And my next guest is an Australian educator. He's a six-time author, a prolific media commentator. He's a senior fellow at the Australian Catholic University. He's published um, six books, as I mentioned. He's published an, ex- he's an expert in all things woke, all things politically correct, and uh, all the things that are educationally atrocious. And we'll get to that in very, uh, very short time. But in 2016, he was also made member of the Order of Australia. Um, we're lucky to have him on the show. He's a busy man. Dr. Kevin Donnelly, welcome to TNT. Always a pleasure, Chris. Thank you so much for your time. Great to have you here. Um, the Grattan Institute report that came out late—sorry, uh, no, the beginning of the week—I think it was on Monday—and we read it with great interest. And we read that our literacy rates are very low; they're around sixty-eight percent when they should be in the nineties. And the Grattan Institute was suggesting that we need to find out uh, how to improve them. I want to talk. I want to flesh that out a little bit because you've had a great say in how curriculum should be put together. But what did we do to allow our children to slip through the cracks and not have decent literacy rates?
5: Well, uh, the first thing, Chris, uh, I mean, the Grattan report that was released, as you say, very recently, there's nothing new in that. I mean, it's actually just uh, digging over old ground, as it were. We've known about this for 30, 40 years that our uh, literacy results are appalling in Australia, but they did go back, whether it was uh, places like California in America, New Zealand, uh, even England. In the Anglo-sphere, as I call it, uh, forty maybe 40 years ago, we moved away from a more uh, structured, direct approach to teaching reading in primary school. Many of uh, the listeners, many of the viewers, would understand that uh, in the days when we went to school, when I say we, older people, we were taught uh, spelling, grammar, syntax, how to write a sentence. And with reading, we were taught what was called a phonics and phonemic awareness approach. We were taught to sound out words. We knew about consonants, vowels. We knew how words came together. About 40 years ago, they threw that out the window. It was cancelled. And they adopted this innovative, very uh, experimental approach called whole language, which was based on the mistaken belief that you could learn how to read the same way you learn how to listen or yeah. speak. Yeah, The reality is it's the opposite. Mm. Learning how to speak in many ways is natural. It happens as children, little babies grow, little toddlers, they listen to their parents, they learn about language and they can speak. But learning how to read is the opposite. So we've had this problem for over 40 years, as I've said, and over a third of Australian students leaving primary school, going into secondary school, are illiterate. They're behind the eight ball educationally as a result. Mm,
1: Exactly. How do we improve it? We go back to sounding out words, don't we, for starters? And may I add, I've always been one um, that... Has been an, has been adamant about parents playing a significant role, and the problem we have with parents playing a significant role is that uh, they're usually working their their backsides off, or um, on the other hand, they're a little bit too self interested and uh, think that school should be in charge of all of this. You've got to be able to, uh, I think, referee your child when it comes to reading at home, don't you?
5: Absolutely, and uh, all the research proves. And it's been there again for many, many years. I mean, one of the indicators of uh, how well a child does at school is how many books there are in the home. Yeah. And that's been there for a long, long time. Uh, Julia and I, my wife, uh, the two of us with our children, we made sure we set them on our knee when they were two or three years old. That young, you've got to start before they're at kindergarten. We would read to them, show them picture books. We would read uh, whether it was ballads or poetry, get them used to the musical quality of language. Parents are their children's primary educators. So parents have a great deal to deal with this. It's their responsibility. But also you have to understand that when you go to school, so many children now, and this is something that's happened since the digital age, since we had laptops, computers, uh, mobile phones. A lot of very young children go into primary school, never seen, having never seen a picture book. So that's making it a lot harder as well. Yeah. The new technologies, where it's all about looking at screens, makes it harder if the child has never actually seen a picture book or learned how to sound out the alphabet, for example. Yeah. Yeah. That's very important. It sounds
1: simple, but it's not something that we seem to be following. We've got to get back to all of that. I've got to take a quick break, Kevin, and then we'll come back and talk further, including about a new report from the Centre for Independent Studies, which I think everyone will be interested in, no matter where you are in the world. Dr. Kevin Donnelly, my guest, will come back with him right after this break on TNT
4: with his expert analysis and opinion.
0: This is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea.
4: State propaganda media has once again outed themselves as pure partisans, just parroting the party line with their criticism of Tucker Carlson's interview of Vladimir Putin. Carlson gave a pretty hard-hitting interview called Putin out on the Wall Street Journal reporter that is in custody saying that he should be released having that conversation. But more importantly, getting Putin's perspective on the Ukraine war and why he chose to initiate it. That's called journalism, yet none of our journalists seem to be the least bit interested in committing journalism. They're more interested in calling for Tucker to be arrested on the tarmac when his plane returns to the United States. It's absolutely disgraceful how these people claim the moral high ground when they're nothing more than moral midgets. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for today's news talk, TNT. There are 16
2: million children struggling with hunger in America. That's one in five daughters, sons, neighbors, and classmates who don't know where their next meal is coming from, yet billions of pounds of good food go to waste every year. It's time we do something about it. Feeding America is a nationwide network of food banks that helps provide meals to millions of kids and families in need. Visit feedingamerica.org to help them feed even more. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're feeding America.
0: You're with Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I've got Kevin
1: Donnelly with me now. We're talking education. A report from Think Tank, the Center for Independent Studies outlines How practices such as explicit instruction, which breaks down what students need to learn into smaller learning outcomes and models each step, are based in the science of learning. It says that that has been overshadowed by student-led inquiry, where a pupil investigates and problem-solves for themselves. We've heard of that before in the belief that doing this will result in critical and creative thinkers. It notes progressive educationalists during the 20th century prioritised student-led learning as good for students, while teacher-led learning was oppressive Was oppressive with progressive educationalists aiming to put an end to mindless rote learning and parroting of meaningless facts. Um, as it's come to the conclusion, the modern educationalist got it wrong and the previous instruction was the way to go. Teachers are there to teach. Students don't teach themselves, Kevin.
5: Yeah, you're dead right, Chris, and uh, a bit like our previous discussion. Many years ago, uh, I went back and I did postgraduate work, so I did a master's and a doctorate looking at curriculum, and this was during the uh, late 70s, early 80s. And it was happening all the way back then, especially in places like uh, California in America, but also New York as well in, again, uh, England, Australia, New Zealand. What happened was and it goes back to a Marxist educator, Paulo Freire. Yes. Who was uh, uh, a communist. Uh, He argued, as you'd expect, that you have to empower or liberate uh, students peasants wherever they were whatever they whatever whatever age you had to empower them uh, you had to get rid of what he called the banking concept where teachers would pour in knowledge into their head and the student would learn to repeat it mechanically they wanted to liberate to empower he wanted uh what and i don't want to get too technical but uh, if you know your marks he wanted To teach dialectical materialism. So it was all about changing the world. I spoke spoke about it in
1: depth on the program last week. So our audience has been privy to where this all began. Yeah.
5: Excellent. So it it goes back to uh, people like Friere before him, the Italian Marxist Antonio Gramsci, Uh, but even goes all the way to, sorry, the way back to uh, Rousseau, the French philosopher. Uh, who was uh, alive uh, hundreds of years ago, and he wrote uh, a book, Emile, where he talked about education being like uh, natural, uh, organic, all you had to do was facilitate, uh, and and the the child would naturally grow towards learning. That became uh, orthodoxy across the English-speaking world, especially the way we taught English and the critics argued those critical of the traditional approach argued that what they called the banking concept where teachers were at the front of the room teachers were in control teachers were actually the masters of their subject that was wrong you were not empowering or liberating the child so you talked about child-centered learning student agency and it's now all about the child being a digital native. I heard one uh, education minister in Australia say, well, we don't really need teachers, just get them on the internet, give them a, a desktop or a laptop, they can do their own research. It's all about inquiry, no. process, being creative, which is all rubbish. Mm. And this report says that. And I just wonder,
1: you know, we have education reports quite often that we Apart, we unpack, we look at, but the overwhelming amount of literature that you're getting, and, and you, you know, I, I get it too, and you get something that's probably more centered in academia as opposed to the press releases that I get. But I get the impression that the world has started to wake up to the route that we've taken with education and realize that we've let our children down.
5: Would you agree? I would. Uh I mean, I've argued, as you know, for the last forty years that uh, we'd gone down the, the wrong path, the wrong route, and we were actually disenfranchising generations of young people. Yeah, I mean, thousands and thousands, if not millions of young children have uh, gone through primary, secondary school, graduated from university. Often they're culturally illiterate, and E.D. Hirsch in America has written about this a lot. They don't know about history. They don't know about Western culture. A lot of them can't pricey uh, an extract or they can't read a novel or a poem because it's foreign to them. They're quite used to being online, digital, texting, SMSing. So we've we've sent generations of young people uh, down the path where they're impoverished. Now, the interesting thing is in places like Russia, China, <laughs> that didn't happen. They kept the traditional approach. Yeah. And uh, the final thing I'll mention is that uh, the tide is starting to turn. In Australia now uh, and some parts of America, certainly England, they're going back to what they call explicit teaching or direct instruction, where the teacher is at the front of the room, the teacher teaches, the students have to sit quietly Actually, concentrate and learn. Now, that doesn't mean that's all there is. You can obviously uh, use a range of strategies when you're a teacher, but we're shifting the focus. It'll take a long time because all the teacher training institutions are still caught up, most of them, with the innovative, progressive, child centered approach. Mm.
1: I want to raise one last point with you, and it focuses on this week's power problems. Were you without power? Heaven, you, you would have been
5: fine, wouldn't you, being close well, to the Well, we weren't. Uh, we're in one of the suburbs in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. Uh, I mean, we like to believe we're a first world country. Uh, we, were, we lost our power for about eight, 10 hours. Oh. Now. We're one of the lucky ones, Chris. I mean, it staggers me. There are people nearly a week later, uh, just under a week later, uh, three or four days, who are still without power. Amazing. And the idiocy is, Victoria, where I live, has the biggest reservoirs or reservoirs of gas in Australia. We had, we still do. Coal stations, coal mines, coal reserves, but the woke Labor government has is shutting down the coal-fired stations, won't explore for gas, spending billions of dollars on so-called renewable energy, which never works if the uh, sun doesn't shine and the wind doesn't blow, or frankly, if the wind is too strong, the uh, transmission lines fall over. So uh, it's madness, and I just don't understand how we've got to this stage where in a first world country we have these problems. And it does get back to
1: being woke. That is... We're doing things for the virtue of doing it, as opposed to doing it for an outcome. Because at no time in Australian history, have I heard a politician tell us what the outcome will be when we shut down coal-fired power stations, when we shut down gas um, and move on to renewables? No one's told me the outcome. What is the impact on the temperature of the planet? If, of course, you need to change the temperature of the planet. As I understand Uh, it, and this came from the chief chief, um, scientist only three years ago, he said that it will make no difference to the temperature of the planet if Australia shuts down its CO2 emissions entirely, Kevin. So if there's no outcome to what we're doing, it's got to be woke.
5: It's all about virtue signaling, uh, as you say, the moral high ground. I think Australia contributes about 1.1 or 1.2 to global emissions now, there are, there are two sides of this. Many scientists still argue that the climate does change. That's happened uh, since the formation of the planet. But it's not man-made change at the moment. It's not global change, warming change because of carbon or, or, or coal or petrol. And the second thing is in Australia, we're 1.1. I mean, China is building new coal stations every second week yeah. And uh, they're selling us all these solar uh, panels and uh, wind turbines. China's sitting back making billions of dollars in profit, laughing while they watch places like Australia return to the Stone Age. They must think that
1: the Western world and most of these government officials are somehow brain deficient because it's just a joke what we're doing. We're cutting our nose off to spite our face. I've run out of time, Kevin, but great to speak with you about an array of subjects today um, and all the very best. And how do we get, uh, how do we link up our viewers with some of your books and writings, etc.? cetera?
5: Well, I do have a webpage, uh, uh, one word, Kevin Donnelly. Kevin Donnelly, D-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y dot com dot A-U. Brilliant. I've actually sold out of all my books, but I'm publishing a new one in uh, about a month. And also, if they go to that uh, web page, they'll be able to see interviews and recordings where I've spoken at forums and conferences.
1: Brilliant, so fantastic! Cool. And and
5: the title of the new upcoming book is well, it's probably not very original, but it's very relevant. It's called "Wake Up to Woke." It's time. Australia. Great.
1: Wake up to Woke. It's Time Australia. Well said. It tells us exactly what you're about to write about and what we're about to read. Kevin Donnelly, thank you very much. Have a great weekend. My pleasure. Thank, thank you. Kevin Donnelly, Dr. Kevin Donnelly. And uh, having been such a prolific writer in this field, in this sector, he would have to be one of the, most for, well, the, one of the foremost experts in the area of Woke and in the area of political correctness and um you know we speak about the book 1984 so often uh penned by george orwell and i know that that is certainly something that kevin speaks about a lot we are going down that track faster and faster and we've all got to push back and we'll continue to do so right here on tnt you have a great weekend i'll be back on monday to do it again we'll hopefully catch up at the same time dean mackett is up next have a good one this is chris smith